I mean, just like last year, for instance, in um, San Diego, I'm sitting next to. No, uh, I hate to be a name dropper, but the, the guy who I'm sitting next to breaks the story of Cole being signed. And as he gets a text message from Scott Boris, he, you know, elbows me and. Welcome to Blake Street Banter, where one of us knows what the word banter means, the other two are just along for the ride. Kirk, say what's up. What's up? James, say hi. Hey. So we are here on a Monday night. All these days are all together. Um, we're just talking rocks. We, we signed Brightish did his first move today. We signed Pudge Rodriguez's son to a minor league contract. I don't, I don't hate it. I had no idea, but then you said Pudge Rodriguez, and I said I'm all in. <laughs> I think when you look at the stats, you'll understand that we might want Pudge instead of this guy. But we'll see how it plays out. It's the perfect Brightage move to start the offseason. Also, congrats to Mr. Nolan. Platinum glove, gold glove winner, broken shoulder and everything. Congratulations, Nolan being Nolan. It's going to be so much fun watching him play for the Dodgers next year. And we are going to wait for the results of the all MLB team, and hopefully Trevor Story gets enough votes to make that team. James, stop being a dick. We are bringing you our first interview. Matt Replinger, known author, known baseball team starter, known yoga in Major League ballparks. If you can think of something that needs to be done or want to check off your bucket list, he's already done that plus three more. Incredible interview, fun listen. It was I could have talked to that dude all night. The guy is a baseball savant. He knows everything that you want to know about baseball, especially in the city of Denver. Historically, I learned a lot from this interview, things that he had to say about um, the white elephants and the Negro Leagues and um, just a lot of fascinating things to learn from it. Yeah, and just the way that he worked his way up through just being a ticket sales guy to just branching off and opening so many doors throughout all of baseball. It's uh was very interesting and honestly kind of an honor to just chat with him for a bit and hear what he's done and who he's met and everything. It's incredible. That Maury Wills story that they're going to make a movie out of, I guarantee it is that's a story. I, can't wait for you all to listen. Really good stuff. It's really easy listen, fun listen. If you just love baseball outside of the ball player perspective, GM perspective, and just like baseball, you really enjoy this. So settle in, grab your popcorn, grab your hot dog, your Rocky dog, and enjoy it. Thanks for being here. Matt, how's it going? Hey, what's up, man? How are you, James? I'm doing good. Kirk, Aaron, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Nice to meet you. Really Good to appreciate see you, man. That. It's been a while. Yeah, you too, Kirk. I, uh, I follow your uh, your life in Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, man, you were going to come stay with me in Ventura that one time. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably three, four years ago. Were you just going to live in a van down by the beach? <laughs> I, <laughs> I was traveling a lot at the time, for sure. More yeah. Travel, living out of a Prius. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, let's see, in 2016, I was working with the uh, Mariners quite a bit. 
and I was also handling the uh, yoga event for the Angels and the Dodgers. So I was driving up and down the West oh. Coast like all summer. Um, but it was it was a great it was a great season in terms of baseball that year. Um, yeah, it sounds awful. Up <laughs> Coast. My first question is: so, like, how did you get involved uh, at the major league level? Um. I started out with the Colorado Rockies right out of college and I started at the low, as a low man on the totem pole. I, I started in the ticket department, uh, group ticket sales, season ticket sales, and um, really had designs of being a Rockies employee the rest of my life. Um, I loved working for the Rockies. I spent six and a half years, uh, most of my twenties working for the Colorado Rockies, mostly in group ticket sales. Um, but I helped out in other departments too, but um, never quite like I wanted to. I always wanted to work in baseball operations, as does everyone. Mm-hmm. But that was really where I was most passionate, not necessarily working simply just anywhere in the front office. I wanted to work in the, on the baseball side. And, um, you know, you get sort of glimpses of, you know, what it's like to be in player development or to be in scouting and you share elevators and break rooms and, uh, space with you know the sort of brass and uh, the folks that I met in those six and a half years that I worked for the Rockies really went on to be some of the biggest decision makers in all of baseball um, you know Dan O'Dowd in the mid-2000s had a real knack of hiring future uh, GMs and future assistant GMs and, and scouting directors and people who became uh, rather influential uh, just years later and working for the Rockies the years that I did paved the way in a lot of ways for the things that I went on to do and have gone on to do because um, the team that I worked for had so many young executives that went on to become who they did uh, and the list is ridiculous I mean it's like Jerry DePoto uh Billy Epler, who's no longer the GM in, in California, or um, John Daniels in Texas. Uh, he was a former Rockies intern. Um, one of my best friends in the game who just got let go as well. Adam Guttridge, who was the assistant GM of the New York Mets uh, under Brady, um, Brody, Van Wagenen. Um, <laughs> Matt Clintock, who just got let go of by the Phillies. He was also or at least not let go, but he's been shifted in terms of his role with the Phillies, but he was a former intern with the Rockies. Uh, Thad Levine, uh, who's the GM with the Twins. Michael Hill, who had just, <laughs> just was let go of the Florida Marlins in the last week, but he had been the GM of the Marlins for the last 15 years. Um, all these folks I shared space with when I was at the Rockies. So Eric Burns with the Dodgers and, um, so they know me now too, in a way that I'm, you know, I'm passionate about yoga and passionate about mindfulness and its place in the game. When you have a reason to approach people, um, and you know, you believe in what you're doing, uh, you know, it's easy to have the conversations that you need to have. Um, it's not like I'm, mm, sort of just like shilling for something I don't believe in. Like I think that yoga and mindfulness uh, is very helpful to athletes uh, from a mental, from a spiritual, from um, a physical, there's all 
different aspects that it's beneficial. So whether I'm talking to Scott Boris or I'm talking to, um, you name the um, MLB media person, you know, I, I, feel confident in the subject matter because mm -hmm. it makes sense. There's merit to it. So, yeah. So going off of that, can you describe what you're, what you're doing right now, what you're working on, what your role is? Uh, I, I'm, it's a title, uh, you know, call it what you will, but I am the director of yoga and mindfulness for the association of professional ballplayers of America. Uh, the AVPA, which has been around since the 1920s. Um, Babe Ruth, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, Lou Gehrig, and Ty Cobb actually helped found the Association of Pro Ball Players of America. And it has been a fraternity, uh, a brotherhood of pro ball players uh, helping, uh, issuing grants, and, and doing things that are of service to uh, ball players that are really uh, less fortunate. So it's something I believe in and, and have for a long time. My friend Dick Beveridge, who is the secretary treasurer of the association for like 30 years. Uh, Dick and I met through the Society for American Baseball Research. Uh, I was a local chapter president here for four years and I would attend the national convention for many years. And that's where uh, Dick Beveridge and I became friends. And he was, he, he really had, um, run the Association of Pro Ball Players of America for many years. And he endorsed my company, Pro Positive Yoga, back um, when I started in 2013, 2014. Um, so I had been um, kind of loosely associated to the association for a long time. And then when the new president stepped in, uh, Jennifer Madison, she's uh, wanted to have someone sort of uh, in my role for some time. And you know, as we got to know each other better, she just felt that I was the right person. And all that I do is really try to raise awareness for the association itself through uh, raising awareness on yoga and mindfulness. So you know, I have conversations with people within Major League Baseball organizations uh, on the subject. And we host similar sort of webinar podcasts like what you guys do here. Uh, but for the association, so. That's awesome. That's incredible. Uh, so I, I mean, very important question. What's your, what's the, your most favorite position of yoga at what spot in the field? Like, is it downward dog on the, on the mound? Is it the Cobra at the home plate? Like what's the best position, yoga position on the field? Um. I'm not sure how to answer that. Uh, you know, I guess it all depends on on who's practicing because yoga is something that's um, fairly personal and uh, it depends on whomever, whoever we're talking about. Everyone's body type is different. Everyone's muscles and uh, myofascial and where we're tight and where we hold tension is different. So it's, it's hard to answer a general question. <laughs> That's the best I can do, I guess. <laughs> no, that's good. So, like, what? So, what goes into setting up these events for the at the ballpark? So, what do you have to do on your end to create these these yoga mindfulness events happening at these ballparks? 
so yeah, that sort of fell in my lap. Um, my background working in group ticket sales and season ticket sales for a major league baseball club uh, kind of allowed me to speak the language uh, in terms of putting on these events uh, because who I'm working with mostly is the uh, group ticket sales department. They're the ones that are really mm -hmm. looking to bring in as many fans as they can. Um, and they target different yoga studios and I help with, I mean, one way of looking at it, the event, you could say it wouldn't probably happen without me being involved. And then you could look at it another way and say that I had nothing to do with it. Maybe it was just even sometimes me having a few different emails and, and conference calls at these clubs. And anymore, I don't even attend a lot of the yoga events that I put on. So granted, we haven't had any since 2019. Um, but I've helped um, almost half of Major League Baseball with a different type of yoga day or yoga event in some form or fashion, uh, whether it be us having them in super suites uh, leading right up to the game like we, we do with the White Sox, mm. uh, or if we have a full-blown yoga event taking place covering the entire outfield either before or after a game. Uh, we've had over 2,000 people on the field for the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, had well over 1,000 people on the field for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I've handled the yoga event with the Colorado Rockies every year that they've had one where now we're, we've averaged over 500 people. So, um, you know, my background in ticket sales and, and working with uh, uh, different large yoga entities uh, has helped um, sort of being a conduit for all these things to come together. Um, I, I don't know how I was so lucky to sort of have this happened, but the Rockies knew that I'd had, you know, a lot of connections within the yoga community here in Denver. And that's why they asked me to help with their yoga event back in 2013. I was working for major league baseball at the time as a statistician uh, up in the press box and uh, someone from the group sales department, um, you know, asked me, you know, would you like to help us with our yoga event? And I said, sure, of course. And, um, that led to me helping then the Dodgers and the Angels and now the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, the Nationals, um, the White Sox, quite a few other teams, the, the Rays, um, all with their yoga event, the Mariners. Um, wow. So it's really just been um, – baseball is a weird thing. When, when one team sees that a team's doing it, then everybody wants to do it. <laughs> and I've, I've definitely taken advantage of that. Um, and what I offer is unique. So, like, I went on a road trip back in 2016 where I met with eight teams over the course of eight days. And I would let every team know that I would be in their town um, or their city you know, a couple days in advance and every team wanted to meet with me. So like, I don't think if I was um, selling something else, they'd be so interested, but I had some sort of, uh, they, they've, when one team vouches for you, so to speak, I guess you get that um, feather in your cap and everybody knows that, that um, what you have is, is something that's needed so mm -hmm. yeah so, like the mindfulness practice that you're talking about like you can tell you're passionate about it this the yoga stuff that you're doing like that's definitely like 
part of who you are. I can just tell from the conversation we're having. And usually that, that gets extended out into those conversations. Like those people see that those ball clubs definitely saw that in you and like, yeah, he's, he's in on this. He's, he's real about this and let's bring him in. So I just, I appreciate the hard work and the, the dedication that you put into that just in anything that any of us do ever like you can I can see that in what you've done and it's just incredible to hear how you started and where you got to and just your passion about it and your dedication about it is just it's really cool I, I appreciate it on so many more levels than I can explain so Thanks, that's awesome no, it was baseball first. It was always baseball, baseball, baseball. And, and yoga was something I really lucked into. Um, after the Rockies won the World or won the National League Championship uh, and lost the World Series in 07, I was hired by um, John Elway and the arena football team that was here in Denver, the Crush. Yeah, humble brag. No, it's fine. <laughs> I never really, you know, did, desired to work in football, let alone arena football. Uh, but I was really thankful that I was uh, able to take that job because it led me to yoga. I got on my elevator one day at the high rise I was living in, uh, in downtown Denver. And this uh, gentleman gets on the elevator carrying all these yoga mats. And he goes, Hey, you work for the football team. And I was like, yeah, he goes, I, I'm the yoga instructor for the football team. I've seen you around the complex. He's like, you live in this building? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you know, I lead a free yoga class in this building every Wednesday night. He's like, you really ought to take up yoga. <laughs> and um, this man, uh, Yoga Danny, he's the first guy to turn me on to yoga. He's been working with athletes since like 20, 30 years. I mean, he, he had been a yoga instructor for like Shaquille O'Neal, Barry Bonds, John Elway, Joe Montana, these guys worked with everybody. And this is so happened, he was the guy that turned me on to yoga. So, I mean, and it was through taking that job with the crush that him and I crossed paths. So, you know, my little diversion out of baseball to work in arena football, thankfully it was meant to be, so. That's really crazy. That elevator pitch. It's crazy to hear like how you kind of pieced everything together and it was just like kind of a long grind to get to where you are, but just taking experiences from each aspect of your life and piecing it together to where you are, like from the sales to just stumbling upon somebody that you into yoga, you can combine that to doing what you're doing now. It's pretty inspiring. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah, I right place, right time, a lot of it. Um, I think Branch Ricky says it lucks the residue of hard work. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I definitely paid my dues working for the Rockies uh, through my 20s. And you don't make much money uh, working as uh, a sort of a ticket sales employee for a big league t club. Um, and it, it was um, sometimes wondering where the hell I, where the heck I fit. I don't know where I fit in this game. And, uh, and, eventually you figure it out if you stick with it. Um, you know, the Browns sort of, that was um, just a passion project. There was more a hobby that just kind of turned into something that um, has become really successful. And my, my ball club, the semi-pro Denver Browns here in town, we rarely lose anymore. Um, we've won our city title here 
seven of the last 10 years. Um, this year we jumped up to the 25 and over uh, wood division, as opposed to playing in the 18 uh, over division. And uh, we beat an old rival of ours. So it felt really good uh, to compete with this Denver Bulls team again. And um, yeah, baseball's definitely kind of always been at the forefront of everything I've done. You know, I, I wrote this book, Baseball in Denver, that came out back in 2013, but it's in every bookstore in town. Um, I don't know if you guys have come across it or not, but um, it sort of starts in like the 1860s and goes up to the present day and uh, covers really all things baseball in Denver from the Denver Post Tournament, um, Denver Bears and the history. Uh, it goes back to, hmm, I'd say the Denver Bears, like 1910, the Denver Grizzlies just prior to that. Um, you know, there's a lot of history of baseball in Denver and I've been studying it for a long time. And, um, yeah, I'm, yes, I, I try not to be one dimensional, you know. <laughs> I, I do have a copy of the book that ah, you, right on. you signed for me and gave to me back when I met you. Um, very interesting read, especially if you kind of know the geographics of Denver and just kind of where everything was placed and how everything got there. It's a really interesting read. And it's, it's an easy read too, because it's a lot of it's just captions and pictures showing you. Yeah. It's more showing you how it got to where it is rather than telling you. So it's, it's pretty interesting. That's Kurt's favorite part. It's got pictures. Yeah. <laughs> a little <pictures>. reading. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, I definitely think that it's uh, shed some light on um, how rich our history is here in baseball because I think folks think of Denver as simply a football town. And prior to the Broncos, it very much was a baseball-only town. And, um, and when you really look back, it, it, it Denver has such amazing history with this Denver Post tournament that existed uh, we had some of the greatest baseball players in the world playing in Denver every summer. Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, uh, Cool Papa Bell, you know, um, Rogers Hornsby. There's some amazing ball players that came through Denver and they would play in this tournament. And it would draw tourists from I mean, many states around to come and watch baseball for a week or two. And, um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the World Baseball Classic. So, like, I love baseball tournaments in general. And um, I couldn't imagine if there was, you know, a similar type tournament. Of course, it never could be. I mean, the, the layout of the demographic, sociology, the baseball has changed so much, you know. But um, it was really neat how the Denver Post Tournament existed uh, for so many years. And the Denver White Elephants, I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. Um, they weren't a Negro National League team, but they were a semi-pro Negro team that played in Denver for a number of years. And I actually named my, my lower level to my Denver Browns team, uh, the Mile High Green Elephants, uh, in ode to the Denver White Elephants, because uh, they were white and green. So, Didn't the Rockies wear, um, pay kind of a, a tribute to that team? I don't think it was last season, but they never did. They uh, talked about doing it when they played in Milwaukee, uh, but then the schedule got jumbled due to COVID. Uh, hopefully, they mm. they 
revisit that next season. Yeah, I hope so because that's a that's a really interesting part of Denver baseball. Is somebody that um, grew up in the '90s, you'd have no idea there was ever any baseball in Denver besides the Rockies, right? So, yeah, yeah, I was born in Kansas City in 1976 and diehard Kansas City Royals fan. And my family moved to Denver in 1982, and even then we still would get Royals games on Channel Two, and I could always listen to. Uh, KCMO, uh, I could listen to the Royals games, at, especially at night. Uh, so I never really missed, aside from not being able to go to Royals Stadium, I was still able to watch my Royals. I was still able to listen to the Royals. Um, and then the Rockies came in 93, and we had the Zephyrs and the Bears, the Bears then the Zephyrs, I should say. Um, but it never, I mean, that's not big league baseball, right? Um, you know, you sit in this giant, giant, empty mile high stadium and watch triple a baseball and i you know i loved going to games i went to a lot of triple a baseball but at the same time it's not big league baseball right um there's just some, something kind of missing um when you go to a big league game you know you're there i remember going to yankee stadium when i was a teenager and the goosebumps you get you know from seeing the field and and going to wrigley field when i was a teenager i mean there's just a something different about going to a big league field. Um, but yeah. So I got one important question for you. How the hell did you become a Dodgers fan? <laughs> oh, well, I, I, uh, you know, I, I downplay the fact I try to remain neutral. Most of the time. <laughs> not, not let on that. I, you know, root for any team over another one. Um, but yeah, I, I, when I first started working for the Rockies in 2002, um, that was the first year that I believe MLB um, extra innings became a thing where you could watch, you know, any major league team just through cable. And it was like the greatest thing ever. And I started to really fall in love with Vin Scully and mm. the way that he told a story and the just his ability to be your friend you know over there the radio waves or over the, the air you know the, the tv it was just the coolest thing um i wasn't even necessarily a dodgers fan i just was a vince scully fan um but i would start to find myself i would get off of work with the rockies at five and then hang around on hang around the ballpark usually until the game started, which is, you know, 640. Um, go to the first three, four innings of the ball game um, and then want to get home so I could listen to the Dodgers. Um, and that just started to become a habit because I love to, love to hear Vince Scully's voice. And um, something happened. This is like going back 10 years prior to that in my – like early, I was probably in high school or even just before high school, my brother-in-law came back from some sort of cable convention he was at in California or Las Vegas. And he handed me a hand signed, or a hand signed, uh, you know, one of those six by 11 photographs. And it was of Maury Wills. Um, and he wrote, he hand signed uh, to Matt. I hear you're fast, but not as fast as me, your friend, Maury Wills. And I always had this. And for some reason, like, I knew I wasn't really friends with Maury Wills, but there he did. He wrote, your friend, Maury Wills. It's like, I always had this, like, connection to Maury. And then um, 
flash way forward, like 2011, uh, my friend Shoham, who a good buddy of mine from college, was uh, he lives in Santa Barbara. Shoham happened to be on a plane, uh, probably flying first class, I'm sure, and he sat next to Maury Wills. And the whole flight, he was, my friend Shoham's telling Maury, oh, you got to meet my friend Matthew. He loves baseball. <laughs> my friend Shoham doesn't know the first thing about baseball. He's telling Maury Wills, who I think should be a Hall of Famer, at least borderline Hall of Famer, one of the best players and greatest stolen base uh, players of all time, that my, his friend from college loves baseball. And Maury, as nice as he is, like, oh, give me, give me his email address. I'll reach out to him. Like, strangely, Maury and I have become friends through email and talking on the phone. This is all while I'm the president of the Society for American Baseball Research here locally, the Rocky Mountain chapter. And my reasons for talking to him at the time was I wanted him to be our speaker for our annual banquet. And um, turns out he ends up agreeing to being our, our speaker. And we fly Maury out from, uh, at the time he lived in uh, uh, Ranchos Palos Verdes, uh, Los Angeles, and now he lives in Sedona. But Maury and I have become really good friends. And, and I still talk to Maury quite often and his wife. Um, it, and I mean, who could have drew that up? Um, and Maury says, once a Dodger, always a Dodger. It's a saying, I guess. I don't know if Lasorda came up with that or, or what, but uh, you know, I, I just, it's easy to be a Dodger fan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're telling a story like that, like there's definitely no negative energy here. That's incredible. The chances of that happening, but I almost, that's a movie. That's a movie script right there. Yeah. Like that's, you, that's so random. That's awesome. Quite coincidental. Um, and now, I mean, I'm lucky enough, you know, if I go through Sedona, Arizona, Maury and I get to have lunch. And, um, and I, my dad and I were driving back from uh, spring training two years ago. And, uh, and we stopped in Sedona and got to hang out with Maury. And uh, he's a kick. Like, he could talk and tell you baseball stories. I mean, he doesn't want you to leave. I mean, he'll talk to you for two, three hours. And it's like, what, it's time to go? Like, no, you just got here. Um, <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, Maury was like friends of Miles Davis. I mean, he Maury was like MVP in 1961. I mean, when when people would think of the Dodgers, it'd be Drysdale and Colfax. But when people thought of like Los Angeles, like Maury was like on the scene. Like he really like <laughs> played a banjo in nightclubs all over town, and he was he was a fun guy to know. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine the stories you've heard. That's awesome. Um, I want to go back to this Denver Denver Browns baseball team. Have you ever had any uh, Colorado Rockies or any other professional baseball players play on the team? Uh, lots of professional ball players. Yes. Uh, have we had big leaguers suit up and play for us? Uh, yes and no. We've had two big leaguers on our roster: uh, Luke French, uh, who actually coached in high school. And he played big league ball for the Tigers and for the Mariners. Uh, he's he's been on our roster. He's never suited up. And then uh, Jason Hirsch was he's got an open invite to always play for us. I, I Hirsch is a good buddy of mine, and I work on him all the time. And every every season, he's I'm always like, 
how's the arm? You know, <laughs> come on. Because <laughs> um, he's been on our roster, I think, two different seasons. And we even got a jersey made for him, you know, with his number on it and everything. Like, he – every year we're always like, come on, Hirsch, get out there. You got to throw anything at least, you know. But uh, really – probably 15 different guys that have played pro ball, none of them in the bigs, uh, mm. except for those two guys I just named who've never really decided to put on their spikes and come out. They're, they've <laughs> no, just that's... been on our roster and it's looked good. Um, Chili Davis's son plays for me, plays for our team, uh, Chaz Davis. And uh, he's an amazing hitter, switch hitter like his dad. Um, and I've had a lot of, uh, you know, fairly high draft picks even play ball for us. Uh, but guys who've had good minor league careers, but didn't quite break through. No, that's, that's cool. Like it's just, again, your stories, it's like, Hey, let's start a baseball team. And then you have Jason Hurts, you're making that connection. You got Chili Davis, son playing for you. It's just one of those, one of those moments, again, the movie script, like you're, you're just putting it out there and you're creating it and you're just going for it. And it's, Again, just inspiring. It's really cool. It's probably about um, tw uh, 20, 2007 was the first year we had the Denver Browns. And the reason we started the team and our mission statement uh, alone kind of says why we started the team is to be the best at everything we do, um, to, break, to break the mold of amateur and semi-professional baseball, and to be the best in everything we do from the field to the community. And I mean, being the best doesn't necessarily mean you win the championship every year, but it certainly means that you're, you're competing and you're, and I've in 2007, I decided um, that we needed to change the way that we were doing things. I ran a team called the Denver bears and about half the guys really wanted to play the game the right way. And uh, the other half, the guys really just kind of wanted to, to swing for the fences and try to, hit the ball to the ballpark every chance they got and not necessarily try to move the runner over or play small ball when needed or, you know, just play the game smart. So that's how I started the Denver Browns in 2007 with my, my old college roommate, this guy, Gino Grasso, uh, who's technically our team founder. And the first thing he did was name me as the manager. And, uh, you know, we've uh, had a lot of success. And it's because we, we look at playing the game the right way. Um, and really respect the game as best we can. I mean, we're uh, my manager now, Mike Canisco. He's won five championships in the last six years. I mean, the guy's um, he's Midas. Uh, he, he's a player's manager. He's laid back, but when it comes time to get W's, uh, he knows what to do. So it's been really fun to work with him. Um, we have one of the only openly gay baseball players in America, uh, former Rockies draft pick, former all Colorado player of the year. In fact, Matt Barker, um, who was injured this season, but hopefully be back next year. And he's one of the most hard nosed ball players you'll ever meet. I mean, he's freaking intimidating. Uh, he kind of plays the game as if he's Jackie Robinson. I mean, he, he, um, I think in years past, we kind of have had a maybe kind of country club attitude on the team where everybody's really laid back, almost too laid back. Um, when Barker shows up, he's got a chip on his shoulder and he, I, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to play against Matt Barker. Um, he's just a tough SOB. 
and it's, it's really cool to have him on the team. We missed him this year. So hopefully he's back next year. But as I said, he's one of the only openly gay baseball players in America. And, and that's unfortunate maybe that there's not more sort of diversity in that, um, in the game, but things are changing. It, it starts with one, right? Like, and Barker, Barker's that man. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That's again, incredible. So, we're going to wrap up here. What is, what would you say is like your biggest, which one do you enjoy the most? I know you, you might have a hard time answering this, but like, was it like writing the book, researching the book? Was it starting the baseball team, creating this baseball team? Was it doing the yoga in the ballpark? Like what is giving you like the most satisfaction? Let's go with that word. Satisfaction with this. Um. I've won seven championships now with the Denver Browns. Um, I, I, I don't have, I'm not a, necessarily a family guy. I don't have kids. I've never been married. Um, but those championships, I wouldn't trade them for, for the world. And, you know, you kind of say the same thing about your children. <laughs> you wouldn't trade them for anything. Um, some of these, these friendships I've made uh, through baseball, whether it be friends I have at the winter meetings or friends I have, through guys who have, you know, toiled and, and worked on these championships with. I mean, those relationships, they, they mean so much. I won a national championship with the Rockies back in 07, you know, as a member of the organization. That felt really good. Being an employee for Major League Baseball, that's one of the, that's definitely, it's, it always looks good on your resume to say you worked for the league. And that job that I had working for the league was one of the most difficult jobs I've ever had. And being a digital scorekeeper and, you know, having to be as focused on the game as you possibly can be. I mean, mm -hmm. at the same level as a manager, I mean, having to be paying attention to every little thing. There's a lot of things. Um, probably what I'm most proud of is starting one of the first, if not the first pride night in Major League Baseball history. Uh, when I was working for the front office uh, in group ticket sales for the Rockies in 2006, I started the first Pride Night, uh, which is, you know, GLBTQIA uh, friendly uh, event. Now all of Major League Baseball, or not all, but most of Major League Baseball has their own version of that. Um, I can't put my finger on one thing. I don't know. And honestly, when I asked that question, I didn't think you'd be able to. That everything you've done is incredible. And again, I said it earlier, but your passion for every little piece that you've gotten to, like you've done on your journey to here, I can tell like it's, you put everything who you are into that. And I don't think anybody can ever take that away from you. Um, and it's, again, just inspiring, like get out there, whatever you're passionate about, do it. Everything will work at work out and if it doesn't you'll find a different way and I know I'm speaking for James and Kirk here but like it's it's really cool like just having this conversation with you and listening to how you got where you are like I was I was super excited like dude's doing yoga and major league ballparks dude wrote a book I'm just trying to read a book he started a baseball team and he's winning championships he's creating all of these relationships with these professional ball players and like it's just I was excited to talk to you and like get to know you and like see what, who you are and everything that's gone over through these last 40 minutes have just like exceeded my expectations because 
again, you are who you are and you make it known and it shows and it's, it, it's incredible to see that in this moment, in this, where we are right now. And it's just, I can't, I can't thank you enough. I can't appreciate it enough for that. So. Thank you, Aaron. It's really nice of you to say. Um, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's very cool. Thank yes, you. Matt. Thank, you for sure. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It was great to meet you. Yeah, take care, guys. Thank you. This is Blake Street Banter, where three of us know what the word banter means, and the other two are just along for the ride. Thank you all. Go Rocks! Thank you for watching. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple's Podcast, or Google Podcast by looking up Blake Street Banter. Thank you. It's crazy to think that he basically started yoga around the country and even the, the LGBTQ. Like, he was like the first one to open that door. Dude opened up a lot of doors. Yeah. Like, he just did it. Crazy. That's great. It's crazy to think like all he did was just get a ticket ticket sales job and just stuck with it and then figured out along the way what doors would open and just took them. Mm -hmm. it's, that's crazy. I think his history of of baseball in Denver is one of the coolest parts about the whole thing. I mean, like it's all cool, but like for me historically it's for me like the white elephants and the negro leagues and all that stuff like people don't know about that shit yeah, yeah.